0: Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pittownchurch.com. Uh, good evening, church. We're going to read from God's Word now. So if you want to turn or click to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be reading from verse 41 to the end of the chapter. Okay, let's read from God's Word. Uh, verse 41. Every year his parents travelled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the travelling party, they went a day's journey. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and with people."
1: Here I am. Uh, it's wonderful to see you all this evening. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the student minister here at Town, and it is a real privilege and a pleasure to be opening God's Word with you this evening. Uh, but before we go any further, let me pray that God would speak to us through his Word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. As we look at your Word, the Bible, this evening, please help us to see him more clearly. It's through his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever had the experience where you thought you knew someone, only to discover later that you didn't really know them at all. Um, Maybe, for example, you fell madly in love with someone, the man or woman of your dreams, and you married them, and it was only after you married them that you discovered that they're the kind of person that jiggles their legs in their sleep. Yes, uh, there's a knowing laugh, and I think that's usually from the other half of the couple that's the person that's not the leg jiggler. Or maybe even worse, you discovered that they snore. I mean, you thought you knew someone, only to discover you didn't think it was possible for someone to snore that loud. Or maybe uh, with friends or family, you're hanging out with your friends and you turn to them one day and you say, "Hey." Do you want to go and grab some KFC? And your friend turns to you and they look you in the eyes and they say, actually, I don't really like KFC. I mean, you thought you knew them, but then to discover that they don't like KFC. Uh, In my time here at Pitt Town, I've learned that that's apparently a deal breaker for coming here if you're a person that doesn't like KFC. Uh, So while Craig is away, no one tell him that I don't really like KFC. (laughs) I know, shocking. But it's true. Sometimes you think you know someone only to find out later that you didn't really know them at all. I had an experience quite like this uh, while I was at high school. I went to school overseas. uh, And in my class, in my English class, there was a girl named Gabriella. She was a very shy and quiet girl. And we thought we knew her pretty well. She kept to herself a lot of the time. And every now and then, Gabriella would just disappear from school for a while, and then she would come back, and then she would disappear again. And this was all happening around about uh, June 2010. I'm sure you remember the date very well, uh, because of course, that's the date that... uh, Princess Victoria of Sweden married a guy named Daniel. And now this was the first European wedding for a long time. It was the year before Kate and Will's big English wedding. And so Europe hadn't seen a royal wedding for a long time. It was a big deal. There was media coverage, there was news articles and photos and all sorts of things. Anyway, one day we were at school and we were looking through these photos of the wedding and one of my friends noticed that sitting in the background of this Swedish wedding was our friend Gabriella. It turns out we didn't really know Gabriella at all. We thought she was the shy, quiet girl from the back of our English class. Little did we know she was 14th in line to the throne of Austria. <laughs> Gabriella was a real life Austrian princess. Yet we had no idea. We thought we knew her, but we didn't really know her at all. And I think that illustrates that sometimes in life it's possible to think we know someone, only to discover that there is even more to them than we could ever imagine. And my big question for you tonight, what I really want you to think about, is do you really know Jesus? Not just do you know a lot about him, but do you really know Jesus? Because I think right through Luke's gospel, we see lots of examples of people who think they know who Jesus really is. They certainly had a lot of expectations of how he should act and behave. We even see that those who were closest to him, even his mum, often didn't quite understand exactly who he was and what he'd come to do. And so, my question for you tonight is do you really know Jesus? And I'm conscious that as I ask that question, there might be some of you who are sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, if I am completely honest, I have no idea who Jesus is. And if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here with us this evening. I would really love to talk to you more about who this Jesus is. He's a pretty important and special guy. But I also suspect that there will be many of you sitting there tonight. And when I ask, do you really know Jesus? You're probably thinking to yourself, I do. Yeah, I do know him. In fact, there will be some of you who have been following him for a long time, maybe 10 years or 20 years, 50 years, 70 years, that you've been faithfully following Jesus. And I think it's often, if you're anything like me, it's often at this point in a sermon that if you've been faithfully following Jesus for a long time, you can start to be a little bit tempted just to fade out a little bit at this point. You can be tempted to think, ah. I know what he's saying. I know where this sermon is going. And maybe your mind will start to drift and you start thinking of some other thoughts. Maybe it's, hmm, what am I going to get eat when I get home? Or ah, Sunday night, Monday morning. Ah, i got work tomorrow, Monday, Monday, Monday. Oh, what, what do I have got to do? I've got that meeting and we start thinking about other things. Or maybe you sit there and you think, I'll just check Facebook really quickly, just quickly. Everyone will think I'm looking up the passage, but I'll just quickly check a little bit of what's happening in Facebook. Or maybe one of the best ones is, uh, I'll just close my eyes a little bit. And everyone else, they'll just think I'm praying. Don't worry, I know if you've got your eyes closed, you don't need to pray for 20 minutes. (laughs) You do, you do. but I think it's important when we've been around a church for a while, it can be tempting to start thinking that oh, knowing Jesus, oh, that's for new Christians. That's not for me. That's for the new people. And I think that's exactly why we need to try and remind ourselves, we need to be clear on exactly why Luke wrote this gospel. Because if we're not sure why Luke wrote this gospel, we won't know what we're listening out for. And so to understand why he wrote it, we need to go right back to the beginning of chapter 1, verse 3, where Luke tells us his purpose in writing this gospel. He says, It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honourable Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. And verses 1 and 2, they tell us that these instructions that Theophilus has received are the fulfilment that Jesus brings. So Luke wants us to remember that he wrote this gospel so that by knowing the events that have been fulfilled by Jesus we might have certainty in who he is and what he came to do. Did you notice in his introduction, Luke doesn't say, so that you might know lots of facts about Jesus and be really helpful on a trivia team? Nor does he say, so that you can learn some of the basics of Christianity, but once you've got that sorted, you really should go on to something else and read something a little bit harder. No, Luke wrote this gospel so that Theophilus might have knowledge that leads to certainty. Luke uses this word certainty again when he writes in Acts in chapter 5, verse 23, and there he uses it to describe the certainty that the jailers have, that the jail is locked. The certainty that Luke speaks of is is a confidence like a padlocked, bolted-down assurance in what has been revealed. Luke wants us to have that kind of certainty, a padlocked, bolted-down certainty in the message of the Gospel. Because don't forget that Theophilus was a Christian living in the first century, a time where he would have been facing daily persecution, and not only persecution, he would have been facing all kinds of doubts, thinking, well, what do I do now? And it's within that context of danger and uncertainty and doubts that Luke writes this gospel so that Theophilus might be certain, locked down, padlocked in his faith in the midst of danger and uncertainty. And the reason that I want to emphasise this as we come to the passage tonight is because I think uh, even though we live 2,000 years later here in Town, I think that many of us still experience similar feelings. We might be facing our own kind of challenges. And I think for many of us, there will be times in our lives when we experience doubt and uncertainty. And that is why Luke wants us to know the things that Jesus has fulfilled so that we might be confident, secure, unshakable in our faith. That's why really knowing Jesus is so important. And it forces us to ask the question of the passage tonight. As we learn about the boy Jesus in the temple, we need to be looking at it through the lens of, well, what does this teach me about the events that Jesus has fulfilled? And how does knowing that fulfillment give me certainty in the face of life's challenges? And that's what I want to do tonight as we look at this passage. So if you've got it there with you, open it up to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Uh, As Kate mentioned, uh, you can click... Or you can flick open the book, or whatever uh, works best for you. If you don't have a Bible or device with you, there's a you can scan the QR code on the seat in front of you. We're looking at Luke chapter two, verse forty-one. Luke begins by telling us that each year Jesus' parents travelled up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, a little bit of background information for you. The Passover was one of the three major festivals within the Jewish calendar, and it was one of the three festivals that required everyone from all across Israel to come back into the capital, into Jerusalem to celebrate. So you can imagine as you picture the scene, Jerusalem would have been packed at this time. Christina in our growth group pointed out it would have been like going to the Easter show, just full of people everywhere. And we're told that another bit of background information is that Jesus is 12 this time when his parents go up with him to Jerusalem. And 12 is a fascinating age for a Jewish boy because at 12, Jesus would have started learning about the law, the Torah, but he wouldn't yet have had his bar mitzvah, which happened when you were 13. So being age 12 was definitely a time of transition for a Jewish boy. It was a transition from boyhood to manhood. And so then, in verse 43, Luke tells us that after the festival, Jesus' parents went back home, but the boy Jesus was left behind. And did you notice what Luke says? But his parents did not know it. Already, Luke is giving us a bit of a hint that knowing, especially not knowing, is a big theme in our passage tonight. Mary and Joseph didn't really know what was going on. Verse 44, Mary and Joseph assumed Jesus was in their travelling party and so they travelled a day's journey towards home. Notice again that Mary and Joseph didn't really know what was going on. In the Holman version that we use here at Town, it says they assumed he was in their travelling party. Another way of putting it, as the NIV says, is thinking he was with them. Do you notice that it's their thinking that was wrong? They thought they knew where Jesus was, but they didn't really know. And it's at this point point you might be thinking like, oh, come on, Mary and Joseph, you had one job. He's the Messiah, the King of Israel. You know, maybe check keys, phone, wallet, Messiah. (laughs) But we have to remember that travelling in ancient Israel wasn't just a matter of jumping in the car and heading up to the shops. Particularly travelling for a big festival like the Passover, it was custom for people to travel in a large group. Well, Also, uh, we understand that it was customary for women and children to travel first, and then often the men would travel in a separate group afterwards. And so it's very possible that in this instance, as Mary and Joseph were travelling back home, that with Jesus being 12 at this age of transition, Mary might have been there and thinking, well, he is almost a man. He's probably with his dad and all the men learning about the law. And it's very possible that at the same time, Mary was thinking, well, uh, sorry, Joseph was thinking, well, he isn't yet a man. He's still a boy. He's probably with his mum and all the kids up the front. And so it's only when they meet together again in the evening to make camp that they discover he's not there. I think all the parents in the room can imagine that stomach-sinking feeling. I thought you had him. Joseph's there going, I thought you had him. And after three frantic days, they finally find the boy Jesus in the temple. And they are astonished. We're told that everyone else in the temple is amazed at this 12-year-old boy and his insight and his understanding. That even at such a young age, he knew so much. But his parents, they didn't understand. And maybe it was because they were so overwhelmed with worry and fear that they were too busy to be thinking about what he's saying. But we're told that they're just dumbfounded. Yet again... They didn't really know what was going on. And Mary says what every parent is thinking. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching. And yet Jesus calmly responds by saying, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And now it might be at this point because of our own experience with 12-year-olds. I don't know how many 12-year-olds you know, but your experience of them might lead you to think that maybe Jesus is going through a bit of a rebellious teenage, almost teenage stage, you know, and we're tempted to read into this and think, is this rebellion or is he being rude to his mum? But no, Luke is really keen to point out to us in verse 51, he notes that after everything that happens that when Jesus returns with his parents back to Nazareth, he does so obediently. This isn't an instance of Jesus going through a rebellious phase. No, Jesus is always obedient. Instead, we should interpret his words as more like coming out of the mouths of babes, as though innocently saying, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? It's as if he's saying... Don't you know me, Mum? If you really knew me, then the temple would have been the first place that you came looking. You certainly wouldn't have been worried about where I was. At our house, we have a a bowl at the front door where we keep our keys. And I had to mention at 9 o'clock when this was being recorded, uh, if anyone's a burglar out there... Please just forget that piece of information that we keep our keys by the front door. But we have a a bowl where we keep our keys. And whenever I lose my keys, which seems to happen all the time, I ask my wife, I say, ah, have you seen my keys? I'm running late. And she says, have you looked in the key bowl? And the majority of the time, that's exactly where they are. Because in our house, keys go in the key bowl. Just like for Israel, messiahs go in the temple. And so that we can understand that link, Luke wants us to see that that's the logical link. We need to understand a little bit more about this concept of the messiah. And to do that, we have to go right back. We have to go right back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and look more closely at the promises that God had been making to his people, particularly the promise that he made to King David. In 2 Samuel 7 verse 16, as God made his covenant with David, he said, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. God was promising to make David's line the eternal kingly line. And the sign of this promise, the sign of the covenant was the temple. The temple was to stand as a reminder to the people and to the king of God's commitment to his promise. And so the king and the temple go together like keys in the key bowl. But not only that, as part of God's promise to David, he says in 2 Samuel 7:14, speaking of David's descendants, he said, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. You see, despite the fact that Israel had constantly rejected God as their king, even to the point that they demanded to make Saul their king instead. God redeems the role of kingship under David by promising to adopt David's descendants into his family as sons. By doing so, God gives them the unique authority to mediate God's rule under his kingship. And so we need to realise that when Jesus is calling God his father, especially within the context of the temple, Luke is wanting us to start connecting these dots and seeing the significance that the things that were promised to David are being ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus, even as a boy, is the perfect picture of the perfect king of Israel. He is everything that they had been waiting for. What else do you expect a boy king to be doing but being in the temple, learning and growing? He is... The Malachi 3, messenger of the covenant who has come into his temple. He is the special child who, like Samuel in 1 Samuel 2, ministers before the Lord and grows in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. He is the perfect Psalm 1 kind of king who delights in the Lord's instruction and everything that he does prospers. We see him delighting in learning about his father as he asks the teacher's questions. Jesus is the picture of the perfect king that Israel had been expecting. However, unlike all of the failed kings that came before him, Jesus isn't adopted into sonship. We know he's born into sonship. We've already heard through the beginning of Luke in his gospel, he tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God's son by his very nature which makes him unlike any other king Israel has ever had. It makes him the better king, the perfect king. When Jesus answers Mary in verse 49, he says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? By doing so, Jesus directly refers to God as his own father. Did you notice how that contrasts quite starkly to Mary's words in the previous verse, verse 48, where Mary has said, Your father and I have been anxiously searching, to which Jesus says, I'm in my father's house. Now, I don't think that's a dig at Joseph, but it's showing that even at the age of 12, Jesus knew his true divine identity. Jesus was the only one born with the right to call God my father. Jesus is the son of the father. And we see in the very next chapter in Luke chapter 3 verse 22, during Jesus' baptism, a voice from heaven calls out and says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Right from the very beginning of the gospel, Luke wants us to see the relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father speaks lovingly of the Son and the Son speaks of the Father. This is an incredible insight into the nature of God. We see the Trinity, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Jesus' identity as the Son of God is not something that he adopted later on in life. It's not something that he just made up. But here in Luke's gospel, these are the very first words recorded of Jesus in Luke's gospel. And in his very first words, he points us to his true identity as the eternally begotten son of the father. Jesus is unlike any king Israel has ever seen. Jesus is the better David. He is the ultimate king. Jesus' response to Mary in verse 49 when he says, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Is like saying, if you really knew me, you wouldn't have been worried. If you really knew me, you wouldn't have to search for me. You would know that the king would be in his temple. You would know that the son of the father cannot help but be in the Father's house. Luke wants us to really know this Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, so that we might be certain, locked down, padlocked, bolted in the face of of opposition and uncertainty. Luke wants us to be certain. And so my big question is do you really know him? I think one of the things that really strikes me about this passage, the more I reflect on it, is in verse 50, we hear even after everything that happens, the response of Mary and Joseph, they did not understand what he said to them. Do you see that despite the significance of all that was going on and what Jesus had said, his parents, they still didn't really understand. And I think as his parents, they would have known him really, really well, probably better than most people knew him. And it's not as if I don't think they didn't know anything that was going on. I mean, remember, Mary had been visited by an angel who had told her about the things that were going to happen. But it's as if they didn't really know what was going on. Perhaps it's because he wasn't behaving how they expected him to behave. Perhaps he wasn't doing the things that they expected him to do we're told that they didn't really understand what he was saying. And I think in there, there is a warning for us. I think there's a warning that it's possible to come to church all the time, every week, to be in a growth group, to grow up around church, to know all the information, to know the facts and the answers to the hard questions, but to still not really know who Jesus is. Or well, maybe we expect Jesus to do and say the things we want him to do rather than to really know him. Do you really know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as he's revealed himself to us in scripture? And as we've seen tonight, do you really know Jesus as he's revealed himself in all of scripture? Do you know this Jesus. Or do you just know information about him? And if you really know Jesus, if he really is your king, my challenge for you is does your life reflect it? Remember my friend Gabriella from school, how she would always go missing for periods of time and then come back and then go away again. It's because she was going off to royal functions. She was off at weddings and events and doing royal things because she was in the royal family business. In the passage tonight, we're reminded of Jesus' character that he can't help but be in the Father's house. He cannot help but be among the Father's people obeying him and giving glory to the Father. And if we really know Jesus, if we are united to him by faith, then my challenge for you, are you one of those people that cannot help but do the Father's business? Is his business your business? Is his mission your mission? I wonder if you describe yourself as the kind of person that just has to be doing the Father's business. I wonder if other people look at your life and describe you as the kind of person that just has to be in the Father's house, that just has to be doing the Father's business? Or maybe are there some elements of your life? Maybe it's at work or at home. Or maybe when you think that no one else is watching, that you prefer to live like Jesus isn't the king. Are there times in life where you prioritise your business above God's business. Luke is telling us, he's urging us to see and understand the fulfillment of these things that were promised so that we would really know Jesus as the Son of God, as the long-expected, awaited Messiah. Because knowing him gives us certainty. Certainty about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Let me pray for us that we would really know this Jesus and that by knowing him, our lives would be completely transformed. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, who died in our place for sin and rose again and rose as king, not just of the world but of the universe. Lord, I pray that we would honour and acknowledge him as King in all things. Pray that you would help us to be certain in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I pray that this certainty would transform our lives in all ways, that we may bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.